You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson. Hello, Life Group Leaders. Welcome once again to the Life Group Leader Podcast for Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leaders. Thanks for tuning in this week, the week of March the 20th. And this week we're going to be taking a look at Chapter 10 in the Transforming Truths curriculum and look at the uh, topic of the church. And we'll be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22 today. And we're excited about that. I'm here with Paul, Dr. Paul Wilkinson once again. Say hello, Paul. <laughs> hey, group leaders. <laughs> Every week it's hey, group leaders. It's a lot of enthusiasm that oozes out of Paul every time he thinks about the group leaders. Anyway, just wanted to hit up a few announcements with you before we jump into the lesson helps this week. First one is what uh, we've been talking about it a lot. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse over here, but uh, it's Engage Middle Tennessee, April the 8th. It's going to be a great day of ministry and service to our community, life group driven. If you have any questions about Engage Middle Tennessee, uh, please let us know, and we will help you as best we can. That's Saturday, April the 8th, just a few weeks away. The other one we, wanted, we mentioned last week that we want to mention also again this week is about Easter. Easter this year, Easter Sunday, is April the 16th, and there will be no life groups that will be meeting on campus that morning. We'll have a number of worship services on the Brentwood campus, the first one beginning at eight at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I think the, the last one beginning at 11.30 in the after, or late morning on Easter. I think six or seven services over the course of the day. But you're going to be receiving some information as we get closer to April 16th that will give the schedule for the morning and some parking options and those sorts of things. And like last week, we, we would ask you as group leaders, as people that are really connected to our church, to try to uh, allow our guests the up-close spots closer to the church, the, to, the, to the facility, um, and uh, just kind of reserve those spots for them. And y'all, if, if at all possible, physically to kind of park remotely toward the back part of the lots or to utilize our remote parking and the shuttle service that we'll have for that day. Easter Sunday, we're excited about it, so be in prayer already. And invite some, you know, encourage your group members to invite people to come to church on that Sunday, Easter Sunday, April 16th. Also, uh, our next curriculum launch is entitled Living Scent. It's, really, it's going to be a great study that's going to begin the week after Easter on April the 23rd. And it's a study about being sent ones. You know, the, the scriptures Jesus says to his disciples, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Disciples of Christ, disciples of Jesus are people who are sent on mission. And this whole study just really talks about that. How do we live sent? How do we live as sent people from a, sent from ascending God into our communities, into our world, into our neighborhoods? Yeah, it's written by our very own Jason Dukes, and um, it's come follow and I'll make you fishers of men kind of mentality. So maybe we'll get him onto a podcast and get him to unpack some of his 
some of his ideas for us. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. So we plan to do that for sure. We will have some uh, some trainings and some um, some helps for you. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to look. I'm actually meeting with some folks this week to kind of unpack that a little bit, kind of see what that needs to look like for our leaders so that you feel feel equipped. But anyway, Living Scent begins April the 23rd. We're going to have the books, the travel logs for this curriculum in your classrooms on April the 9th, two weeks before. So they will be in your rooms on April the 9th. If you're leading an off-campus group and you're going to use this curriculum, you can come by and pick them up in the Discipleship Center in the atrium and get as many as you need. They're going to be distributed church-wide on April 23rd. Uh, And, of course, this curriculum will also align with the sermon series as well just like we've been doing with the last ones we've done. It's going to be a good, good study. Looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. And so we'll be on the lookout for that as we move forward. All right, so we're going to jump into our lesson time this morning, uh, or today, just talking about the church. And we're going to be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. And... Uh, I think it'd be good for us to maybe read the scripture and then maybe just unpack a few uh, a few concepts that emerge out of that those passages that really speak about the importance of the church this this amazing organism that God has has put together uh, to be an army of His people to be God's people in the world. Uh, Paul's going to read that and uh, and then we'll move forward from there. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building, being put together by him, grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. And Paul, you're reading out of the Holman Christian Standard? I think so. Version. That was the intent. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, so uh, there, there's our passage for this week that we're going to be um, teaching from in group time. Some of the some of the key words that kind of stick out to me, and Paul, we can just kind of unpack some of these things as we move forward here. Uh, kind of beginning in verse 11, um, you know, the Apostle Paul says, "Therefore, remember." You know, remember who you were, and then and then recognize who you are now. Uh, then verse fourteen he talks about unity, 
the two becoming one in Christ, the, the, the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. This new man has been created out of the two, thus making peace, uh, which is a rich concept that we need to spend a little bit of time unpacking. And then on down, verse 19, uh, Paul, the apostle, again, is, is talking about this cornerstone that is Jesus Christ, that the, this new man this being built up uh, is built on this cornerstone, Jesus, in which the whole building rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So this common denominator, the thing that brings us all together, Jew, Gentile, that all the dividing walls, all the divisions that we create for ourselves are all broken down, and that Jesus Christ is that one thing that brings us all together. It's great, great, rich theology here about the church. So let's start, Paul. Let's back up a little bit and kind of begin in verse 11. Some thoughts from you just as you think about this passage. Uh, Paul talking about, remember who you were formerly. You were uncircumcised, called uncircumcised by the circumcision group, Paul says, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the zealots. The Jews. Uh, remember that you were one time separate from Christ, excluded from the promises, excluded from the uh, the citizenship. You're foreigners, but now you've been brought brought near. That, that word remember, um, he's telling them to actively go back and think about a thing. And, and I think it's there's a nuance. I had one professor try to describe to me once the difference in, in her mind between not forgetting and then actively remembering. And she was making the point that uh, one of the ways Satan works in our lives is by making us recall and remember those things that are most devastating uh, when we were at our lowest um, and saying that that active dwelling upon may not be healthy. And I think what Paul is saying to them here is something a little nuanced different. He's saying, bring back to your mind for this moment who you were. Don't forget who you were, because that does two things for us. One, it glorifies Christ in that, okay, that's not who we are anymore, and I didn't make myself this way. And so we give glory to Christ for calling us out of what we were. And then secondarily, it it helps us maintain grace and compassion towards those who are still wandering around in the darkness um, so that those who called us uncircumcised at one time, um, now that we're in the circumcision party, using that metaphorically, uh, we don't go impose uh, these kind of categories on other people as well. So it keeps us gracious. It keeps us humble. And always remember who you were so you can understand what Christ has done for you. It's a great value in remembering. And, you know, this is our story because we, if you're listening to this, good chance are that you you come from the, the uncircumcised group, the Gentile group, right? You're not born, you're, you're not Jewish. Yeah, well, it wasn't our birthright. <laughs> it wasn't our birthright. And yet through Christ, Paul writes, but now, verse 13, in Christ, you were once far away, excluded, have been brought near mm-hmm. through the blood of Christ. And he's the one through which all, th- through which we're unified. Right. right. That's right. Um, so I think it's, I think it would be good maybe to sit on, on that word, remember, you know, when you're with your group time in your group time this week to, to maybe talk about the importance of remembering remembering who you were before you knew Christ, remembering uh, 
that transition that took place, that transformation that took place, that that was initiated and and facilitated through God Himself. He was the one that did the work. It's always a good habit. It's a good good thing to do to remember who you were uh, before Christ came yeah. into your life. And and the point again is isn't masochism. It's not self flagellation as we remember these sort of things. It's not to beat yourself up because of what a wretch you were, but it's to magnify the grace of God and Christ that even in spite of who I was, God still chose me as part of his family and made me into this new thing. Mm. And so we want to we want to walk that fine line between, yeah, I was a miserable wretch, but not to the point where that identity. I mean, the whole point of remembering that is to know that now we have a new identity. Yeah. And we always want to keep that on the forefront. Yeah, that's good. So remember, that's a good thing to do. Kind of, kind of maybe unpack that a little bit in your group time this week. And in this particular context, you know, obviously Paul, the apostle, was asking them, asking these Gentiles, these Ephesian believers, "Hey, remember." And that's that's a good thing to do. So we we ourselves need to remember as well. So you look forward, you look down, verse fourteen. Uh, Paul is starts talking about unity. And I think one of the things that's, that's so kind of glorious about this whole thing that is how Paul, beginning in chapter 3, actually begins to talk about this unification of Jew and Gentile as a mystery. No one foresaw that it would happen this way. No one had any clue that God, what God was up to in you know, dropping all barriers and bringing all people under one umbrella and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, this yeah. mystery that Paul begins to kind of unpack for the, the, these Ephesians in chapter 3. And he even uses the word mystery over and over again. You'll see it in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 4. Uh, let's see, verse 6, he uses it again over and over again. Verse 6, he says, This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So I'm reading from the NIV. Apologize for that. Mm, <laughs> Here. It's pathetic. I know, I'm terrible. But uh, but anyway, he said but he begins to kind of unpack that a little bit here in the beginning, verse 14. The two become one in Christ, destroying this dividing wall. This this whole idea uh, verse 15 of this new man, his purpose was to create in himself one new man. Who's he talking about there, Paul? The church, right? Yeah, sorry. Email popped up. <laughs> it kind of caught me off guard. Okay. Right. So uh, this makes me think of two things in particular. One is the progression of the gospel through the book of Acts. So you have Pentecost. You have uh, the Spirit poured out onto the uh, disciples there. And then they make the gospel known to the Jews. From there, they move on to Samaria. So the half-Jews who were considered impure. Um, and not not as righteous or ethnically uh, pure of the promise as the Jews were, and yet the gospel gets to them. And then finally, Paul, um, Peter goes to Cornelius, and the Gentiles get it. And so you have this binding together of the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and the Jews all together into one big family. And I think about Paul in the latter chapters of Romans 10 and on, uh, talking about the grafting in of a Gentile branch. I think in Romans he was likely talking to Jewish converts to the way of Christ. And so he's saying to them, or giving a reminder, I mean, surely there were Gentiles there as well who had become believers. But he's reminding them that it's God's, it's God's, 
prerogative and God's great mercy that he chooses to graft in this Gentile branch and expand the kingdom beyond what anyone could have ever imagined. So it's kind of like when we talked about the resurrection at the beginning, we look now post Easter back into the Old Testament and we can see in many ways how Israel was supposed to spread to the entire globe. But uh, that was not the mindset of the day. The mindset of the day was, this is our promise. This is our Messiah. Yeah. We're waiting on the Davidic throne. Mm-hmm. And then here comes this screwball, as God so wanted to do, and it curves right in. Now I'm bringing everybody mm-hmm. with me into this kingdom. It's, it's stunning. Yeah. And I think it's it, it's important, you know, we're here in verse 16 is uh, in chapter 2. I'm just reading in these verses that we're looking at. And in this one body, talking about, um, talking about the church with these two peoples coming together, Jew and Gentile, Israel and, and, and Gentiles, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So it's not that the Israel was already saved and they were good to go, and then all of a sudden the, Israel, the Gentiles were kind of adopted and then became you know part of it too. No, you're talking about two people groups equally in need of a Savior, who are brought together through Christ. And so there's really no room for like hierarchy. You know, there's no room for, hey, these people are closer than me. Even though, yes, Israel had the the previous, they had the relationship, they had the covenants, they had the promises, they had the history, they had the stories, they had all the interactions with God Almighty that the Gentiles did not have. This gospel that, that is being preached by Paul is equally important both to Jew and to Gentile, and they both come in under the same gospel message, same God, that now becoming one. Uh, I, I don't know, that just kind of stuck out to me as I read. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you think about our time in particular now, and you talk about the applicability of theology for life, ethics, uh, practicality purposes, and this is it. You want reconciliation between disparate groups and uh, cultures that don't see eye to eye, the way you unite that is in Christ. Just like Paul saying here, it worked then, it'll, it'll work now. That the great unifier of all this is Christ, not some abstract notion of equity or, or, or fairness or advantage or any other sort of thing. It's the, the person and work of Christ that is the great equalizer, that we all come in as adopted citizens into this um, this new kingdom as children, children of the promise. Mm-hmm. Our, our human inclination is to divide ourselves and to put ourselves over other people, other people groups. Um, and through the gospel, we see the word, uh, you know, Christ making peace through this new man. And he says in verse, uh, let's see, 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And then we see that word peace again a few more times here. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. So this whole idea of peace comes only through the gospel. So, so if there's anything, as Paul just alluded, is anything that could break down any barriers or hostility or divisions among us that we put up in our for ourselves, uh, it's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ and the cross, which is an amazing truth to, to contemplate. So as we, as we move forward a little bit, uh, verse 19 and in, in following to the end here, the word cornerstone kind of uh, kind of emerges. This foundation, this cornerstone, as Jesus as Jesus is described, with which the church is built on. This cornerstone that Jesus is the common denominator that brings us all together here. 
Um, Paul, what what comes to mind when you think about? He uses Paul, the apostle, even uses the um, the imagery of a temple. Yeah. Uh, in page 79 of the teaching plan for this lesson that you can get at adults.journeyonleadership.com, uh, the author goes through using the building or temple as a metaphor for understanding the church. And whenever we get Jason Dukes to come do a podcast, and certainly when you guys start reading the Living Scent books, you're going to read some of his language about an invitation to be the church rather than come to church. And he likes to stress that in the New Testament, you don't get prepositions like in the church, to the church, um, uh, at church. Yeah, at, at church would be the other one. Is is that because the church is the is the body of the people, not a not a location? Nevertheless, the building can be a good metaphor for how we understand the church. And your your teaching plan does a good job of that with the apostles and the prophets as your foundations um, on which the fundamental truths are there. Christ is the cornerstone. Part of that being the remembrance and unity you've already brought together, and that provides the the solid undergirding, uh, the key part from where the building started you always start building it from that cornerstone out as you as you build the building and i think that represents christ well and then lastly uh the author adds that buildings are made for a purpose and then so uh the question you can leave with your group is uh based on that idea so you have apostles prophets foundation christ is the cornerstone the initiator of all of this and then the question is based on that what should our what should our attitude be about being intimately involved with a local church, and then what's our purpose as the church? Mm-hmm. And so, there's something you like to bring up occasionally that your father-in-law talks about. So I'm going to impose that on you and make you share it with people because <laughs> I like it. Yeah, he uses uh, my my father-in-law is a pastor in South Carolina, and he he you know he he kind of cringes when he hears about you know the church is described as an organization, you know. Um, and he just, you know, that sounds a little too worldly secular in his mind, I think, but, uh, he would prefer the church to be, to be, uh, referenced as an organism, uh, a living being, something that's, that's, that's alive, something that's growing, that's being built. Verse 22, chapter two, and in, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit so there's this this sense of life this this, this holy spirit living and dwelling his people and dwelling the church empowering the church to be uh, a redemptive force a glorifying force in the world for God um I think that's a it's a good way to way to think about it. Yeah, so we may use organization to structure and handle logistics, but that's not our identity. Our identity is a is a living, active thing propelled by the Holy Spirit of God to be salt and light in a darkened, ignorant world that desperately desperately needs a savior. One, um, you know, we obviously the focal passage for this lesson is Ephesians two. But one of the things you may want to do as a group leader is to maybe even take them back to Acts chapter two, kind of the the, the first church, uh, as we see uh, God's Spirit poured out on His people, and the church is beginning to to form, and they begin to express themselves as God's church, as God's ecclesia, His called out ones uh, in the world. 
And you see, beginning in verse 42 in Acts chapter 2, this whole idea of, of some of the things that the early church did. They, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were about the word of God um, and to the fellowship. Uh, they ate together on a regular basis. They were together. That word together is used a lot here in these, these, these verses. Uh, they, the believers were together, had everything in common, kind of hearkening back to this whole idea of cornerstone, right? This, this built on Jesus, this common denominator wasn't where they came from or their ethnicity or what football team they rooted for. What brought them together was Jesus. That was what was the unifying effect of, of their fellowship. Uh, verse, verse 46 in Acts, Acts chapter 2, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread and ate in homes together. And, and the Lord added to their number those who, daily who were being saved. This, 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 this early church that were benefiting from their fellowship with one another, the encouragement of the word, the encouragement of the community in which they lived. But yet they also were on mission. They were all about sharing the gospel. They were all about being sent out from those temple courts and from their homes to make disciples and to, and to um, share this good news, this, this gospel that they had received, that they, they had experienced for themselves, this forgiveness of their sin. And so, you know, I think today our church should operate that way. That's the church that's, that's outlined for us in the scriptures. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, I think of it this way, that um, that we, like the early early church, the early believers, um, benefit when we come together and we enjoy the fellowship of God amongst each other, uh, the teaching of His Word, the encouragement that we receive from one another as we um, as we pour in and invest in one another's lives, the encouragement that we receive from the Word of God as the God's Spirit is filling us with His Word. Um, but that's just, we don't stay there all the time. You know, we're also sent out, right? And we're going to, you know, we talked about living sent, being sent out into a dark world. Last week we talked about darkness and how many people are in bondage or in dark places. We, we, we gave the illustration of the mammoth cave and the darkness that's there. People are living in those, in that darkness. We, as the church, uh, are sent out into this world to to make a difference, to be light, right? And a part of that, we are depleted. We are poured out like a drink for offering. We are used up, sometimes persecuted, sometimes opposed. But all, all through it, we persevere and we endure uh, as we seek to battle uh, in those dark places and to share the love of Christ with people as we demonstrate it, as we live it out. And so as we are depleted, the importance of the church really rises to the top there because then we're, we have to come back into the fellowship of the believers to once again to be filled up, to receive the, uh, the encouragement of the word, the encouragement of community and to uh, to be to be strengthened and empowered and emboldened once again, ready then also just to be sent out once again to be depleted and used up all over again. That's that's the beauty of the church. We need each other. The community of God's people is called out ones 
uh, as we enjoy one another, but also are sent out as missionaries into a to a lost and fallen and broken world. Yeah, and that reminds me of the Revelation passage in chapter two, the letter to the uh, the church at Ephesus, and so he commends them on their labor and endurance, like like you're talking about. He he commends them on their um, testing of false doctrine and, and identifying the liars and, and protecting the truth, keeping it sacred. Uh, and you haven't grown weary in light of persecution. So you've suffered in my name and all of that's good stuff. And then he says, but here's what I have against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. And I think most commentators would uh, mark that as sort of the base, simple witness and gathering that you read about and just shared about um, you've just forgotten to pour yourself out on the community. You've done well protecting the truth. You've endured persecution. And all of that is righteous and holy and glorifying to God. But you also need to be pouring yourself out into those places where you live, work, and play. And, and you're so right. And this is a huge function of the life group is to be a smaller, more um, concentrated expression of that larger corporate body so that you can be more like a laser in your life groups as you're preparing individuals rather than a large population. You're preparing particular individuals to be poured out into their um, into their specific callings and specific places. And this is the significance of group life is why we are so desperate to drive people into that kind of community. And so churches, when we think about the church, we're, we don't think necessarily, you probably heard this this. Uh, uh, phrase before holy huddle you know uh, it's not designed to, to, to isolate or insulate ourselves from the world you know um, some would say uh, I've heard many people say well, I don't know any, any lost people um, you know I've always been taught to stay you know to, to you know to insulate myself from, from, from secular world views and not to be drugged down by the influence of the, of the unbeliever or, or the pagan in our world and and even though there's obviously, you know, a fear of that, I think that the, the most important thing is for us to be so built up in our faith and so foundational in our faith, built on Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. As we mature, as become more and more like Jesus, the chance that we will fall and become like them is, is much less than if, they, than if we were to be influential in their lives and they become like us. And so, therefore, we have to be in the world. We have to be sent out into a to a uh, to a world that needs needs Jesus. And you know, I think one of the frustrating things that all of us probably experience from time to time is that you know, oftentimes the the church does just become a place we come to. It becomes a place where we get our needs met. Uh, it becomes a, a a place where you know we feel comfortable about things and we want to raise our kids in the church and those sorts of things. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I think we've also have to have a really good balance, a, a, a good perspective about what the what the church is supposed to be about. Uh, it's not necessarily for us just to come and um, and, and for our own personal needs. Uh, we we come obviously we have needs and, and, and part of it is that the church helps to helps to meet those needs that we have and that's part of this sharing together that and everything in common that we see in the in the early church but there's also a sense very much of 
what what do I need? How do I need to pour myself out? How do, do I need to serve sacrificially? How do I need to be a part of what God's doing in the world? How do I be a participant in the kingdom of God and have eyes to see the work and be sensitive to the spirit in my own life as God is using me in mighty ways around where I live, work, and play? And a, and a great part of being uh, a, being the church and being a part of the church is that you're not in it alone. You have this huge family of fellow soldiers and colleagues being salt and light where they are, and you can always take a friend with you. Even Christ sent sent out the um, his disciples by twos. So you don't have to go. You don't have to go into the dark places alone. Take a friend with you. Take a more mature believer with you that can protect you if you're if you're struggling with who you feel called to minister to, or uh, take a young more immature believer with you to show them how to do it, to show them how to walk the walk and be the salt and light where they are. So yeah, don't think you're ever by yourself. Um, particularly you life group leaders, you pour yourselves out weekly uh, for your life groups. And then you also pour yourselves out in your places of work. So you're getting poured out at both ends. And uh, part of what Jay and I want so desperately to do is to fill you back up. So remember that you too are in a special uh, cohort with a lot of other life group leaders on the same sort of mission and that Jay and I are right there with you on the on the front lines. That's right. So to kind of wrap up our time this, uh, for this particular episode, Paul, what, what are some of the, uh, do you think some of the, maybe the main talk points or main applicational points or, or what's at stake that might be really good to unpack in this particular lesson for our people? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways to go with this lesson. Uh, I think certainly the content we covered here is good. I think what you highlighted, Jay, the remember, which leads to here's who you were, here's who you are, which that leads to a unity that we're all together because of what Christ has done, which points us to the cornerstone of Christ, and that puts us on mission. So just hitting those three words, remember, unity, cornerstone, would be a great, great lesson. Uh, I think this lesson, maybe even more than some of the others, might be a place for some vulnerability from the leadership side of things to talk about how what we thought the church was, how we functioned in it, and then how did you get... So, so, so all of you listening here are leaders in some capacity. Paint a picture for your group members of how you went from being a participant in the congregation to becoming a leader of other people within the congregation. I think that'd be a powerful story and a powerful witness. And I know it's meant a lot when my mentors have shared that with me, how it happened for them. Uh, so, so be open and pray about doing that for your people and cast a vision for them on, on how to discern their particular callings within the body. It's really good. Well, thank you for tuning in again this week for, uh, our talk uh, about uh, the Transforming Truths curriculum and just general life group stuff. And as we say every week, we're grateful for the ministry that you do every single day, how you pray for your people. And, uh, and so we're, we're grateful for you and all the work that you do. Hope you enjoyed this. Hope you uh, hope to connect with you next week as we unpack chapter 11 in the Transforming Truths curriculum. Have a great day.